Hey there, loves. I'm Lee Nix, and this is A Memory of Malice. Put on your flannel and grab your Timmies, because we're heading to Canada. Today, we're covering the case of Amber Tuckerow. This case is pretty infuriating, so buckle up. This case was already on my list of cases to cover, but it was requested, so I decided to cover it sooner. If you have something you want me to do an episode on, hit me up at my email at amemoryofmalice at gmail.com, or at any of my socials, which I'll link in the details. On January 3rd, 1990, Amber Alyssa Tuckerow was born. She was promptly adopted into the Tuckerow family, which included Father Andrew, Mother Vivian, also known as Tootsie, and four older brothers. Amber and her family were members of the Mixo Cree First Nation. According to their website, the Mixo have lived on the ancestral lands of the Athabasca Delta and the Wood Buffalo National Park in northeastern Alberta since time immemorial. They have about 2,800 members. In 2010, Amber's 14-month-old son, Jacob, was the center of her world. She tried multiple times to strike out on her own and find a place to live for the two of them. But she struggled. She would stay at Unity House, a housing assistant shelter, several times, but each time would call her mother to take them home. During her time at Unity House, Amber made a friend. This friend is named in a few sources, but the vast majority said her name hadn't been released by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, or RCMP. Since I can't be sure whether the name used is accurate, I'll continue referring to her as a friend. It seems as if Amber and this friend got it into their heads one day to visit Edmonton, Alberta, for a couple of days. They decided to get a hotel room in a town near Edmonton, called Nisku, because the hotels there were cheaper, and why not save a bit of money on their trip, right? Amber's mom, Vivian, thought this trip was a bad idea. I mean, the whole trip does seem like an idea two young people would cook up on the spur of the moment. Moms worry about that kind of thing. But Amber told her that there wasn't anything to worry about, and besides, she'd only be gone two days. So Amber, her son Jacob, and her friend left on their trip. On August 18, 2010, the pair of women flew into Nisku and arrived at their room at the Nisku Place Motel. Here is where the mystery begins. Amber asked her friend to watch her son while she went into Edmonton. We can't be sure of the exact reason for this. Some people said she wanted to go check out the city, but that doesn't make much sense to me. It seems odd to go sightseeing while ditching your companion back in the room. The other reason seems more logical. Amber probably left to go buy some food. Motel rooms rarely come equipped with food, and she might have been hungry. Whatever the reason, her friend agreed to watch Jacob, and Amber left the motel. The last time Amber was seen that night was between 7.30 and 8 p.m., getting into a vehicle with an unknown man. The description of this vehicle was never released by the Leduc RCMP. Amber was often in contact with her family. She especially kept in contact with Vivian. She would text her every day, all through the day. So when her daughter went silent, Vivian immediately started to suspect that something was wrong. 
Her suspicions were only confirmed when Amber's traveling companion texted her the next morning, saying that Amber had never returned to their motel room. This was especially startling because Jacob was still there, and Amber would have come back for him. Vivian Tuckerow immediately contacted the RCMP to report Amber missing. Unfortunately, the RCMP didn't take the situation seriously at all. They told Vivian that Amber was probably out partying, and they refused to take a missing persons report for 24 hours. I can't begin to imagine what Vivian and the rest of Amber's family felt when they couldn't even get the RCMP to take Amber's missing person report. And even when they did manage to get them to take it, no one did anything about it. It would be a full four months before the Leduc RCMP interviewed anyone involved in the case and the friend Amber was traveling with would never be considered a person of interest, and no effort was made to find and interview her. On August 28, 2010, merely 10 days after Tuckerow's disappearance, the RCMP removed Amber from the missing persons register after they received several sightings. These sightings were never confirmed or even investigated. Vivian had to fight for a month to get her daughter re-added to the register, and during that time, no one was looking for her. A representative for the RCMP even told the media that they didn't believe that Amber was in any danger, and that they believed she had just run off to Edmonton. If a woman's life wasn't hanging in the balance, it would be an almost comical amount of negligence. Instead, it just makes this sick pit grow in your stomach when you watch it. Vivian Tuckerow would attempt to claim her daughter's belongings from the hotel in which she stayed, only to find out that the police had claimed them. This would generally be a good sign. Surely the items had been catalogued for evidence in case of foul play, right? Wrong. The Leduc RCMP had destroyed Amber's suitcase and everything in it. Vivian would be angry about this, not the least because she wanted those items for sentimental value. The case would go cold, if you can call it that when it was never investigated in the first place, for two years. On August 28, 2012, police suddenly released a portion of a recorded phone call that included Amber and an unidentified man. This call had been made by Amber to her brother and had been recorded because he was an inmate at that time. Where are we by? We're just... We're heading south of uh, Beaumont, or north of Beaumont. We're heading north of Beaumont. Yo, where are we going? No, this is a... Are you f***ing kidding me? You better not take me anywhere I don't want to go. I want to go into the city. Okay. Yo, we're not going in the city, are we? No, we're not. Then where the f*** these roads going to? 50th Street. 50th Street, are you sure? Absolutely. Yo, where are we going? 50th Street. 50th Street? 50th Street. East, right? East. Problem. 
This recording is unsettling for obvious reasons, but it also brings up many questions. Exactly how long was the RCMP aware of this recording? Her brother reported it to them. Why did they wait two years to release it to the public? Time is of the essence in a missing persons investigation, so what possible reason could they have to wait? Also, the recording is 17 minutes long, and the police only released the final 61 seconds of it. I'll play devil's advocate and say maybe the man's voice didn't appear on the rest of the recording. But that seems unlikely given that Amber appears to be in the middle of questioning the man about their destination. No matter the unanswered questions, the audio was released to the public. But it would turn out to be too little too late. Less than a month after this, trail riders found a skull in a rural field. Dental records would positively identify the skull as belonging to Amber Tuckerow. Her cause of death, if one was determined, has never been released. The coroner did determine her death was from foul play. This was a crushing blow to Amber's family, of course, and it raises questions about the culpability of the RCMP. If the Leduc RCMP had done their jobs, perhaps Amber would still be alive today. Amber's family filed a complaint with the Civilian Review and Complaints Commission for the Royal Canadian Mounted Police in 2014, alleging that the Leduc RCMP did their jobs improperly because of an inherent bias they held toward Amber's Indigenous background. The results of a review released in 2018 into the investigation found that it was deficient in that various members were either not properly trained or did not adhere to their training and that various members did not comply with procedures and guidelines. The report listed several major issues in the investigation. The fact that it took a month for the Leduc RCMP to start investigating. That Amber was removed from the missing persons list. The four months it took for key witnesses to be interviewed. That witness contact details were often not recorded at all and the destruction of Amber's personal property, which was quite literally evidence. The report went on to say that it didn't believe that this had anything to do with racial bias because it uncovered no evidence of such, to which I call a hearty bullshit. I think it's perfectly obvious that if Amber had been a young white woman, her disappearance would have been taken far more seriously, and one only has to look at the history of the RCMP to see that. The RCMP has a long track record of neglecting to properly investigate the cases of Indigenous people. Given the background of the organization, this is hardly surprising. The RCMP was initially founded as the Northwest Mounted Police, or NWMP. According to an unauthorized biography of the RCMP by Lauren and Carolyn Brown, the NWMP was created in 1873 to facilitate controlling indigenous populations and take their land. The NWMP was to be, quote, military in nature and based on the Irish constabulary, which Great Britain used to control Ireland. In the intervening years, the RCMP hasn't improved in its approach towards indigenous populations. I briefly discussed the epidemic levels of violence towards indigenous women and girls in my first episode but it bears repeating. According to Statistics Canada, almost 6 in 10, or 56%, of Indigenous women have experienced physical assault, while almost half, 
46% of Indigenous women have experienced sexual assault. They also found that in 2018, Indigenous people were far more likely to become a victim of a homicide. Though they totaled 5% of the population, they made up 22% of the total homicides of that year. This is far from an unusual percentage. Combining this with the fact that murders or disappearances of Indigenous people are less likely to be solved or even investigated, it becomes clear why there is a deep distrust of the RCMP from Indigenous communities. Therefore, it seems absurd to claim there's no evidence of race-based bias. It's been an ongoing problem in the organization since its inception. Regardless, the review found the investigation was flawed. Nearly a full year after the report was released, Deputy Commissioner Curtis Zablocki called a press conference and gave an apology, in which he said that the investigation was, and I quote, not our best work. And then he immediately pieced out of there. The family was angry about this, of course, and did not accept this so-called apology. They were especially mad that he left so quickly, which is a valid point. A spokesperson tried to smooth this over by saying he had a meeting he had to get to, but that he really wanted to apologize, which is eye-roll inducing. If I'm apologizing for an ever-sized fuck-up, I'm gonna pencil that in for a day that's wide open. You know, just so it appears like I give a shit. It would also have helped to apologize before a year had passed, or to have done their jobs in the first place. So where does that leave us? What's next for Amber and her family? There are suspects in this case. Well, let me rephrase that. There was one named suspect who was ruled out by the RCMP, and there are theories. At least three women came forward to the media, saying they had identified the man in the phone call as Pat Carson. Pat Carson is a well-known sex offender in the Edmonton area who spends his spare time trying to lure people to his horse ranch using numerous fake identities and sites like Craigslist and Kijiji. There is even a blog dedicated to tracking his posts and fake names, patcarsonsexoffender.blogspot.com. The RCMP even issued a warning when Carson was released from prison in 2003, saying that he posed a quote, significant risk to young adult females. So it seems quite odd that he's not considered a suspect in the Amber Tuckerow case, especially since I'm not sure how they would rule him out. Short of him being in police custody at the time of her disappearance, I can't think of a single compelling reason. Three separate witnesses coming forward to identify the same man as your mystery man seems like solid evidence to me. The only other suspect in the case isn't really a suspect at all. A man pointed to his father being the killer of Amber and many other people in a Facebook post. However, police were able to prove that he hadn't been involved in any of the other cases mentioned. A lot of them had been solved. The Facebook post has since been deleted. Suspects aside, it seems obvious that there is a serial killer on the loose in rural Leduc. In addition to Amber, four other indigenous women disappeared while hitchhiking, and their bodies were found in similarly remote areas. While the other women were sex workers, it's believed they were chosen because their mode of travel made them vulnerable targets. 
Hitchhiking is a complicated subject in cases concerning murdered and missing Indigenous women, especially in Canada. It's easy to come from a place of privilege and say that hitchhiking is dangerous and you shouldn't do that. But the reality is that for many Indigenous people, hitchhiking is a necessity. Rather than treating the situation with empathy, the media and the RCMP have historically chosen to blame those hitchhiking for partaking in, quote, high-risk activities, rather than those who had taken their lives. Saying that hitchhikers are engaging in high-risk activities while simultaneously refusing to supply them with another alternative is hypocritical. The distance from Nisku to Edmonton is 27.8 kilometers, or 17.3 miles. It's too far to walk, and it would have been just as dangerous for Amber to have attempted it. So, at the end of this case, we're not left with much. No real suspects, according to the RCMP. An inept investigation and not much evidence to go on. The only thing we have to cling to is a haunting recording of a worried Amber and an unknown man. Amber used to sing You Are My Sunshine to her baby. He was her whole world. That boy wasn't even two years old before the world proved to him that monsters do lurk in the dark. And before Amber's family could start their search for that monster, they had to battle an agency meant to protect them. In 2014, Amber's father passed away, not knowing who had stolen his daughter. I hope this case gets solved for the family. If you have a tip, you can leave it anonymously with Canadian Crime Stoppers at 1-800-222-8477. Alternatively, you can contact either the Alberta RCMP at 780-412-5261 or the Leduc RCMP at 780-980-7267. I don't want it to seem like I'm shitting on Canada in this episode. The issues in this case are a grim mirror reflecting issues we have in the US. Both organizations are equally abysmal. I just want to be honest about the flaws in this case. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you liked it, follow, like, subscribe, comment. I love comments, and I'm always happy to hear your thoughts and opinions. I have a Patreon if you feel like supporting me monetarily. You'll get access to AMAs, bloopers and outtakes, exclusive episodes, and exclusive Discord, and you'll get to vote on the subject of future episodes. If one-time donations are more your thing, I have a Ko-fi as well. All these links will be in the details. This has been Linux. As always, stay safe and stay hydrated.